98K News. It's one o'clock. I'm Steve Dunthorne. The headlines. Lawmaker Chu Hoi-Dick says that the government needs to stop delaying and announce an inquiry to help end the political crisis. But former Justice Chief Elsie Leung says weeks of protests were a disproportionate response to a poorly explained extradition bill. And that the airport authority's injunction against protests at Cheklap Kok is extended indefinitely. Legislator Chu Hoi-Dick says he's afraid a platform for dialogue that the chief executive Carrie Lam is trying to set up to resolve the political crisis is a delaying tactic. He called on the government to announce an independent inquiry as a condition for talks, saying the parameters of the investigation could be set later. In principle, you can agree to set up a statutory commission that has power much bigger than IPCC. So I think that kind of agreement can be come up before a platform. The government has so far only announced that the IPCC, the Independent Police Complaints Council, will conduct a fact-finding study on the protest movement and give the government recommendations on the way forward. But the former Secretary for Justice, Elsie Leung, says a platform for dialogue is a step towards agreeing to a commission of inquiry so that consensus can be reached on what it should investigate. Mrs Leung also says she respects Carrie Lam for not resigning. She says the administration made a mistake in failing to properly explain the extradition bill and described the ongoing protests as a disproportionate response. I know Kerry is in a very difficult position, but I think by remaining in her post, I think it shows her courage and also she is very well aware of her responsibility. I'm glad that we have somebody like her to stand for the government at this moment. It would be easy just to say that I would like to resign, but this is not what she has done. She said protesters had achieved their goal of forcing the government to withdraw the bill and their other demands, which include universal suffrage, were deep-rooted issues that wouldn't be resolved by taking to the streets. However, Ms Lung told RTHK that she doesn't know why Carrie Lam hasn't heeded calls to announce her intention to formally withdraw the bill. I don't know what is the government's difficulty in so far as I'm concerned. I thought that the bill is, um, between quotation, withdrawn. <laughs> the government's first difficulty is the, the, the logical is in recess. Um, you can only withdraw it uh, upon the second reading of the bill. Well, they could say they're going to withdraw it. Hmm? They can say they are going to yes, withdraw it. Yes, I think if that, that were the only uh, issue outstanding, I'm quite sure that if I were the government, I would have done so. I would have withdrawn it. But that is not the only issue. Um, the protesters have been saying that um, uh, you have to um, surrender to all five demands, which the government cannot do. Canada's consulate in Hong Kong says it has stopped sending local staff on business trips outside the SAR, including to the mainland. The move follows the detention of British consular employee Simon Cheng Manket, who was picked up while returning from a business trip to Shenzhen and accused of breaching unspecified regulations. Canada's mission did not say whether its travel ban was related to Mr Cheng's detention. The High Court has extended a temporary ban against protests at the airport until further notice, saying its smooth operation is of vast importance to Hong Kong's international reputation and business interests. Damon Pang reports. The injunction extension comes as some anti-government protesters plan another blockade of the airport tomorrow by overloading roads and public transport to Cheklap Kok. The judge, Wilson Chen, said he was aware of the plans, which weren't sanctioned by police. 
He said he agreed with the authority that the damage to the airport would be immeasurable should the route to Cheklapkok be blocked. A temporary ban was first sought against protests last week after peaceful demonstrations there turned violent, causing nearly a thousand flights over two days to be cancelled. The authority has also published advertisements in newspapers urging people against disrupting airport operations. Police are investigating suspicious fires at two so-called Lennon walls in Aberdeen and Diamond Hill where anti-extradition notes are posted. Both fires started at around 5 o'clock this morning. Firemen put out the blaze in Aberdeen while the fire in Diamond Hill was out before they arrived. Police have classified both cases as arson. Google says it shut down more than 200 YouTube video channels it said were part of a coordinated attempt to influence the protest movement uh, to influence views of the protest movement in Hong Kong. Mainland state news outlets have accused Google, Twitter and Facebook of abusing press freedom by blocking materials that expose violent acts by the Hong Kong protesters. Here's the BBC's Dave Lee. In a brief statement, Google said those behind the YouTube accounts had made attempts to disguise their location and identity and that they had exhibited activity commonly associated with coordinated influence operations. But unlike Twitter and Facebook, which said they believed the accounts were part of a Chinese state-backed effort to spread misinformation, Google stopped short of explicitly accusing China. Nor did the company provide any details about the intent of the material it had taken down, a move that will frustrate researchers studying the impact of online misinformation campaigns. In other news, a grandfather has been jailed for 11 years after pleading guilty to raping his five-year-old granddaughter twice in the last two years. The 78-year-old man committed the crimes after taking the girl home from school. High Court Judge Anthea Pang said the case was heartbreaking because of the psychological impact on the girl, whom she said was no longer able to sleep, was scared of men of any age and had lost interest in playing with friends. The judge said the defendant had neglected the failings of his granddaughter. The Australian state of New South Wales has said it will end a Beijing-funded language teaching programme in its schools when the agreement expires in December. The Confucius Institute programme, administered by a central government agency, teaches Patungwa. A New South Wales government review said it had not found any evidence of political influence being exercised, but the programme could be perceived as facilitating inappropriate foreign interference in a government department. The United Nations Security Council has been holding a special meeting to discuss what Russia and China say is the threat posed by US medium-range missiles. It follows the Pentagon's announcement of its first cruise missile test since it withdrew from the Cold War-era Intermediate Nuclear Forces Treaty. The acting US ambassador to the UN, Jonathan Cohen, has accused Russia and China of a new arms race. We're here today because the Russian Federation preferred a world in which the United States continued to fulfill its INF treaty obligations, while the Russian Federation did not. Indeed, the Russian Federation and China would still like a world where the United States exercises self-restraint while they continue their arms buildups, unabated and unabashed. Russia's deputy ambassador to the UN, Dmitry Polyansky, accused the United States of pursuing a dangerous path. 
On the whole, do you realize that because of the U.S.'s geopolitical ambitions, we are all one step from an arms race that could not be controlled or regulated in any way? We are very concerned by the prospect of that. But our American colleagues, it seems, are not. In many ways, if you believe President Donald Trump, America is ready for an arms race because, allegedly, it is possible for it to overcome any of its potential enemies in a material and technical sense. A United Nations report says many countries in the Asia-Pacific region could be reaching a tipping point when the impact of floods, cyclones and droughts exceeds their capacity to respond. It urges governments to invest in technological innovations to monitor, predict and mitigate the effects of such events. Iranian and British researchers say a low-cost daily pill containing four different drugs can significantly reduce the risk of heart attacks and strokes. It's the first major study to assess the effectiveness of the polypill. The study was led by Tehran University. Professor Tom Marshall from Birmingham University in England was also involved. We were looking to see if a fixed-dose combination therapy, so that's basically four drugs in one tablet, would help prevent cardiovascular disease. And by cardiovascular disease, we mean heart disease and stroke. And we carried out this study over a period of five years in an area of North Iran, a rural area, and we found that it reduced the frequency of heart disease by about one-third. Global leaders have expressed alarm about the record number of wildfires in Brazil's Amazon region. President Macron of France says that the crisis will be given top priority at the G7 summit he's hosting this weekend. Environmentalists have criticised the government of President Jair Bolsonaro for encouraging the destruction of the rainforest for farming, logging and mining. But the president of the Brazilian Rural Society, Marcelo Vieira, insisted farmers weren't responsible for the fires. These fires are not set by farmers. They are mostly accidental or sometimes set by illegal loggers and illegal occupiers of uh, protected areas. This is a major challenge in Brazil. We have had difficult weather this year, a longer than usual and stronger than usual dry season. So it is a high risk in the dry season. Mr. Bolsonaro also accused Western powers of taking a colonial mentality and wanting to hold his country back. Those countries that send money here, they're not doing it for charity. I hope everyone can understand that. They're doing it because they have a vested interest. They want to interfere with our sovereignty. They're looking for riches under the soil. Brazil is a very rich country. It has all the potential to be a great nation, but that won't be achieved unless the country is united on this issue. The French President Emmanuel Macron says it's too late to fully renegotiate the terms of Britain's departure from the European Union. But he told Prime Minister Boris Johnson some tweaks to the deal could still be reached. But he warned Mr Johnson the Irish backstop was indispensable to the integrity of the EU single market and to peace in Ireland. From Westminster, here's the BBC's Helena Wilkinson. Boris Johnson got a warm welcome from President Macron, but both men were clear about their differences over Brexit, in particular the Irish backstop. The French president said he was very confident that the UK and EU would be able to find a solution within 30 days, a timetable suggested by the German Chancellor Angela Merkel. But he said they would not find a new withdrawal agreement, the deal setting out how the UK will leave the EU, that's different from the current one within that time. 
And the markets, the Hang Seng Index stands at 26,190. That's 135 points up on the opening. Time for sport, and here's Joanne Wong. Cricket first and England will be in a strong position when the second day of the third Ashes test begins in a few hours. The hosts dismissed Australia for just 179 yesterday, thanks to Jovra Archer's six wickets. The BBC's Henry Moran has more. A remarkable day of test cricket at Headingley as Australia slipped from 136 for two to 179 all out. Joffrey Archer, the new sensation for England, took six for 45 in just his second test match as Australia lost eight wickets for just 43 runs. A rain-affected day here in Yorkshire, but it is a day that England will feel more satisfied with. Marnus Labuschagne into the Australian side in place of the injured Steve Smith performed well. 74 for him in Smith's absence at number four but overall Australia will feel given the position that they were in they have perhaps underperformed this now you feel is England's opportunity to get back in the series and with Archer bowling like he is there's now a real sense that the momentum in this series has shifted towards the hosts football and the Wolverhampton Wanderers have moved to the brink of the Europa League group stages after a 3-2 win at Torino in the first leg of their playoff round tie the English Premier League side are playing in the first European campaign since 1981 the two teams will meet in the second leg of Molina next Thursday, with the winners moving into the main group stage of the competition. And tributes have been paid to the former Ghana striker Junior Agogo, who died at the age of 40. Agogo began his career at Sheffield Wednesday, played 27 times for his country and scored 12 goals. He sealed his place in the hearts of Ghana fans with his performances at the 2008 Africa Cup of Nations, where he scored three goals, including a late winner against Nigeria in Accra. He suffered a stroke in 20. 15, after which he struggled with his speech. Next to tennis and the draw for the U.S. Open has produced a big ticket match for the first round of the women's singles. With more from New York, the BBC's tennis correspondent, Russell Fuller. Yes, this is the match we've been waiting for. New York's been waiting for too because it's never happened at the US Open. But we generally, tennis fans of the media, have been waiting for Serena Williams and Maria Sharapova to meet again. It's the first meeting since the Australian Open quarterfinals of 2016. We thought they were going to play in the French Open fourth round last year, but Williams had to pull out before that match because of injury. And it's because of their rivalry over the years, which is a very one-sided rivalry. 21 matches, only two have been won by Sharapova, and both those were 15 years ago in 2004. But also because there has been animosity between the two, and Maria Sharapova's book has been published since their last meeting, and she gave the impression that uh, she's quite obsessed by Serena Williams throughout her career. As for the match itself, you'd have to favour Serena Williams, even though she's had back problems recently. Sharapova's had shoulder issues. She's only managed to complete six matches since January. In the men's singles, the defending champion Novak Djokovic is in the same half of the draw as Roger Federer, who he beat in the Wimbledon final last month. Rafael Nadal is in the other half. If the seedings work out, Djokovic could have to face Daniel Medvedev, who beat him in Cincinnati last week in the quarterfinals. And that's your look at sport. When the news, the top stories once again. Lawmaker Chu Hoi Dick says the government needs to promise an inquiry before talks begin to end the political crisis. But former Justice Chief Elsie Lung says the protests are a disproportionate response. The news from RTHK. Well, I worked it out, gotta say goodbye. I can see it clear as day with a 